Well, uh, today we are going to take a little detour. Uh, we normally will go through a book of the Bible and go through verse by verse. Uh, I just finished the book of Acts, and uh, it only took four years. <laughs> and uh, so normally that's our fare. We are in the middle of going through an Old Testament book, but we took a little hiatus through Christmas. And, but today, uh, given the events that happened this week, I, I felt the need to discuss some of the interpretation, perhaps, of these events or, or, or what's going on. And so you may be here visiting and you're saying, oh, no, here goes another sermon about politics. And all I can say is that I don't normally do this. I don't, um, the only time I will speak to these things is if the scripture talks about it. But there are some current events that I think dictate that we address it as a church. Um, 9-11, I can remember us meeting together talking about that uh, when the Cardinals win a World Series. We get together <laughs> and we celebrate as a church the important things. I just could not let this go by without, without saying something. So, Father, we uh, desperately need your wisdom to weigh upon this, and I ask that you would help us as a church to remain unified around Jesus, to be on mission with what you've called us to do, and that your spirit will do a great work, and we ask for you to revive our country. We desperately need it. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Last year, I tagged along with my son to Washington, D.C., and I was on, he was on a business trip, and I went with him. We visited the Capitol building, met a senator, went to the White House, the National Archives, several memorials, and the Library of Congress. I had a renewed sense of appreciation for the institutions that uphold our government. And when you see some of the buildings, read the history, meet the people, consider the sacrifices that other people have made, you get this sense of pride for being a citizen of America. It's not that America is a chosen nation above others and that God does not love or cherish other people or nations. I do not subscribe to American exceptionalism that sees American and America as superior to other people. I don't believe that. However, I can still respect the people and institutions that we are given. And as we walk the hallways of the Library of Congress or the Capitol building or stand at the feet of the Lincoln Memorial, for me it was not what you know postmodernists call mystification, this kind of faux authority posing to keep you subservient. It was a genuine, sincere respect. It's why the events of this past week were so shocking, one of the reasons at least. To break into the Capitol building and vandalize and disrupt the assembly was abhorrence, just as all violent rioting is unlawful, regardless of the reason. People from various political persuasions and 
interpretations about these events, go to our church. End of sermon. I'm just walking away now. No, okay. <laughs> Why I was so silent there? I don't. <laughs> A little uncomfortable. Um, how are Christians to react? How are Christians to react to this diverse political stream, specifically within the environment of a church? So for me to address this topic can be viewed in a couple ways. One, I could approach it kind of like an editor at a newspaper, just, you know, give you my opinion. That's not what I want to do. That only has use to the other personalities going on in my head. The second option is that I become a herald, a person given a task to convey a message by a superior. And in this case, my task is to convey the word of God to bear upon this situation. I do not claim that all my words are exactly what God wants me to say, but I desire my authority to be the word of God and attempt to cut it straight and clear. Now, I get that such an approach is not going to be accepted by everyone. Uh, there are people who reject God's revelation and reject it as our authority. But I stand here because I believe that wisdom from above is our only hope for the problems that prevail in our culture. And those are problems you saw on TV, but they also include racism, poverty, and certainly our political unrest and many others. I am not interested in a forced theocracy upon a secular society where we're subservient to supposed Christian leaders. Today, I'm more interested in common, the common good that comes out of respect for all human life as being made in the image of God and treated accordingly. That includes white, black, Democrat, Republican, gay, straight, etc. It's not that we have to agree on all beliefs and actions of everyone, but we start, we lead with a basic respect that all people are made in the image of God. This is something that only theism offers. This is what our founders built our government upon. I believe words have meaning, such as the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Men are equal and endowed by their creator. You may not like these words, but I'd submit to you that our country is in the state it is in because it has forgotten these words. Amen. Take away these simple precepts. And as a philosophy teacher, I have some standing to say this. Take away these precepts, and there is no philosophical view or worldview that can sustain human dignity except theism. How can I cancel out 
someone on Facebook who does not agree with me, if I believe that all humans have value, how can I start making Nazi references about people who I'm not politically aligned with and demonize them if I value them as made in God's image? How can I give a black man value and also hold to a view that people are nothing more than advanced animals thanks to naturalistic evolution? The only claim I'm making is you just have to be a thinking human being who has exhausted every other philosophic system to derive human value. And I make no apology for throwing out the only life preserver there is for these basic premises that we are made in the image of God. Now, we need more than agreement on this image of God premise. We need an experiential choice of God's wisdom. And what I mean by that is passionately pursuing, agreeing to make it our authority as my own over everything, including politics. Claiming I have a Christ, uh, that I'm a Christian doesn't mean much unless I choose to have it reign supreme in my life, including my attitudes and actions. Now, here's the rub for us as Christians. We cannot allow wisdom from above to take a back seat to our political alignments. This is where the rub is. Now, by the way, it's okay to have a political affiliation. It's okay even to have a passion. I, I had a passion for my uh, kids on their little league team when they played, you know, ball. But I didn't want to be those parents who, you know, you know who they are, okay? Uh, <laughs> yelling and screaming, calling names to the other team, right? And not wanting to talk to the other parents on the other team. It's like, dude, are you eight years old too? Okay? It's that kind of thing that I'm talking about. It's, it's when these differences create this idea that I don't want to associate, I don't want to be a part of, and then even the dehumanizing. That's the problem. If we are prone to criticize those who do not take God's wisdom, what I'm submitting, let's do it equally to Democrats and Republicans. It's not that it's wrong, again, to have an affiliation. But when there are inconsistencies with our politics and God's wisdom, I'm wanting to always choose God's wisdom. As a Christian, we should be just as critical of Donald Trump's cavorting with playboy bunnies and porn stars while married to one of his several wives, as we are of Bill Clinton's personal services internship program. <laughs> as a Christian, I should be just as appalled when injustice is done to black people, as when corruption is discovered in an opposing political official. I do this because the Bible speaks to these things. Speaks of moral purity, justice, feeding the poor, political corruption. When a political persuasion points me away from biblical principles, I must remember that my kingdom is in heaven and not earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. 
male and female, he created them. In some ways, it's no surprise that we're in the state we're in. Um, what do we expect when we get this situation, when we have culture, a culture and leaders who reject God's wisdom, who adopt viewpoints that people are expendable and deplorable, depending on, it could be their age, their political affiliation, their race, whatever. Uh, just in one Facebook post that I uh, read recently of a Christian leader, Christian leader, spoke of a political opponent that makes his skin crawl. He's so stupid, an embarrassment. I will never think of him as an educated person, even though that individual was an Ivy League school graduate. His crime? was it that he said the word irregardless. It's not in the dictionary. <laughs> you friggin' kidding me. This is how we lose perspective. Pointing out of the splinter in one eye and not noticing the beam in yours is typical of today. When our identity and security are in a political affiliation it's not too hard to go down a road like that. So let me just give you, if you like, three points in a sermon. All right, here they are, all right? So I, I kind of just building on these things. A faith community is not united by political ideology, but objective and experiential truth related to historic Christianity. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. The Bible is true. That's what we're united on. That's what we are banking on. Next, the unity of a church is challenged when political ideology replaces fidelity to historic Christianity. What is happening is that you have churches that you know, will use the name Christian, but they are not devoted to these primary truths. And we can and do have unity with people of different political ideology when Christ is supreme. Some commenting on the events this week are saying it is symptomatic of one group losing their freedoms. Now, I cannot look inside the heart of every single person who protested. And by the way, there's a difference between a protester and a rioter, all right? And as with most situations, you can't whitewash thousands of people as a monolithic group. I certainly am against the violent protests, but they're just like the violent protests we've had in the last couple years. So how are we to respond when injustice occurs, no matter what the reason we have for our injustice? Whether it's racial, political, whatever. Can we not agree that violence and rioting is never the answer, no matter what your motive? Remember all those riots Jesus led with his disciples? All the violence he promoted? Exactly. There are none. Remember the one disciple that decided to take a sword at injustice? And what did Jesus say? Put that down. And then heal the guy's ear. Let me return to a basic premise. 
Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I think the Bible is clear about the sin of branding people in a political party or a race to dismiss or nullify them. You know, the book of Acts is a historic account of how God brought two races together that hated each other previously. The principle is denied when we dismiss or ignore real human problems today because they're not in our political interest. Yes, the media gins up things like race. Yes, race is politicized. But as a Christian, I have to take a more nuanced approach to this topic. I look at it like Jesus when he was healing in that pool. He had two pools right outside the uh, walls of Jerusalem, about 300 feet long. And you had all these crippled people trying to get you know, healed from the magic springs there. They weren't, but they just thought it was. But anyway, Jesus looks at this man, calls him out, and heals him. We have pools in our society of people hurting, children trafficked, refugees abandoned, women mistreated, races dismissed, people canceled. And the general populace passes these pools with disgust. Plenty of that going around these days, aren't there? But Jesus looks at the individuals in the pool and he offers them healing. I'm entreating all of us who call ourselves Christians to look into the eyes of the people in the pool to listen to their stories and to help them out of the pool. We can't help everyone, but we can help some. And when we love like this, the gospel takes on special meaning, especially to those we are helping. The answer is not in the media. The answer sure as heck in, in some political party, but in recapturing the truth of what it means to be made in the image of God and a uni the unifying effects of a gospel community. God's wisdom has to reign supreme. You know, some people will use the Bible to rail against racism and then deny when the Bible deals with sexual ethics. They like one part, don't want to do the other. Political parties do this. Choose one part, deny or reject another part. If you don't know this by now, I hate to break the news to you, but there is no holy political party. Okay? Both parties utilize humans that are finite, flawed, and naturally corrupt. Be very careful about your allegiance to any government or human institution or even a church when it's blind. There are actually good reasons to leave a church. Right? Why do we, why do we say this? Because human institutions are flawed. 
and we are citizens of heaven. And our ultimate leader is King Jesus. We have to keep that perspective, especially now. Why is it our country so fractured? Maybe it's because people do not know how to maintain unity without Christ, because there is none. There is nothing that unites the hearts of human beings without Christ. Families are fractured. Churches are fractured. Friends are falling off because we have allegiance to what? Our personal opinion. We post on Facebook our views, discount the dissenters, add up the likes, feed off the positive comments. So now the metric for truth is social media approval. It is human foolishness. The beauty of Jesus Christ is that his kingdom cannot be contained in a political party. It's transcendent, it's superior, it is authoritative. It's not about being a Baptist or a Catholic or an Anglican or AG, but when the image of God is truly and passionately adopted in our hearts, it changes the way we relate to other people. I've seen those in our congregation trying to have civil conversations with people, and it's almost impossible. People will gaslight the situation. It's because of what I'm talking about. I uh, commend the attempt, but we're having problems within families, within churches, and these normal social groupings, because people are unable to even have a civil conversation. When God's wisdom that we're to embrace brings this premise of relating to people with love and respect, it also changes, God's wisdom does, our relationship to truth. Listen, I don't believe all the conspiracy theories. It's okay if you do. I, I don't believe all I hear in the media. It's okay if, if you do. I, I think you're being naive, but you know, God bless you. Still love you, all right? <laughs> I don't trust either political party. I, I lean towards one over the other, but I don't trust everybody there. So where can I find truth? We live in a whirlwind of claims about today's world that muddy the waters of what is true. Was the election stolen? Were some of our leaders complicit? Is Trump a rampant racist? Are mask mandates merely a plot about control of the populace? Did the congressional police last week work in concert with others to sabotage the government? Does the Republican Party really have an interest getting rid of abortion? Because if they did, then they would get rid of all of the one-issue voters and maybe never get elected in office again. Hmm. When one looks at all this, it's easy to throw up your hands and say, there's really no way to know what's true. Such claims are nearly impossible to prove themselves. I may never know. I may never know who killed Kennedy. 
So I guess, I guess that means then, because there's so many diverse religious claims, there's nothing I can know that's true in religion either, right? Well, this is where I have to put the peg down. I'm saying today, there is a man who is totally man, who is totally God. And he said, I am the truth. His name was Jesus Christ. And he died on a cross and he was buried and he rose from the grave three days later. It's upon that I put my trust. It's upon that that I say, he's true, that's true. Anything he says is true, his word is true. And that's what I'm standing on. I don't know the reality of all that's going on. But I can speak to justice, love, truth, because God has set a standard. I wish and will work for peace and justice in our community and for those disenfranchised with us, this body that is not a monolithic body that thinks and votes the same like robots, but we are united around Jesus Christ. As a practical matter, objectively criticizing the actions or attitudes of a politician does not make one unpatriotic. Because I am a lover of truth, I can speak to the intern program of Bill Clinton being shady, just as much as I can of the arrogance of Trump or the destruction of the most defenseless in our society, babies in the womb. And if you're getting defensive right now about any of those statements, you are proving my point of how opinion should not take precedent over the wisdom of God. A lover of truth must hold their political leaders responsible whenever their actions demand it, instead of making excuses and blame shifting. Churches and pastors especially have to speak truth and not cater to political parties and throw red meat to them. Pastors can't be pulled to speak on agendas and then wonder why the compass of their people points in every direction. Is there any hope? Is there any example of the Bible maybe speaking to political corruption and how we're to respond? Yes. Enter the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was written during the 7th century B.C., Habakkuk was a prophet. It means he spoke for God. He wrote in a time of international crisis and national corruption. The Babylonians would overtake Judah and carry its inhabitants away in captivity. Judah witnessed great moral decline and national corruption since the death of Josiah and under the rule of Jehoiakim. If you don't remember these names, don't worry about it. Uh, There was decay, there was violence, greed, fighting, perverted justice. Am I talking about today or am I talking about 7th century? See, it's the same. And on the eve of pending destruction, in a period of uncertainty and fear, Habakkuk wrote about what he perceives as God's indifference to the sin of Judah. The book is a record of Habakkuk's conversation with God. Central to the complaints that Habakkuk gave to God are these words. 
O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Ever feel like that? That is how many of us have felt this week. How have things gotten so bad? Where are you, God? How is it you can let things deteriorate like this in our country? And we've prayed, we've asked. You believe that God is sovereign? So was God also sovereign when your guy wasn't in office? Was God also in control? When laws were passed that you're against? Uh, maybe I have to adjust that sovereignty thing. <laughs> no. God is sovereign. In fact, there's a, there's a passage in here that uh, talks about that that I want to I give to you here in a second. But before we do that, I want to just make the point that I understand that God's people then operated under a theocracy, and we operate under a constitutional republic. You know, you're talking about Israel and Judah. Uh, we're a constitutional republic in the USA. Our forms of government are different, but God is still sovereign in both. Both ages see his rule over human affairs. Can we not agree that God has a right to speak to us today yes. as citizens and to also hold our leaders accountable? In chapter 2 of Habakkuk, you see these woes, W-O-E-S, those are ways of saying, I don't like what you're doing. Woe unto you for doing this or that. In other words, God is implying he's going to hold them accountable. All of them. My hope rises as I read Habakkuk 3. Here we see God declaring that his deeds are worth remembering. It says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In other words, his justice is going to be executed. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. Is this a promise only for the Old Testament economy? Has God quit being just? Does God still measure? Is he still looking? Is he still shaking? Perhaps that's exactly what just took place. God is shaking what is going on in our country and trying to wake us up. I think we're witnessing that now. Now, we may think that God is asleep because he's not giving it the way we want in our time. Don't be fooled by that. 
always think of this, that whenever people think, well, God has not done anything about evil, I'm like, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, you remember Jesus? Did he not die for our sins? Did he not die so that every single person has the choice to individually be changed from the inside out and changing a community? Uh, I think he's done the most helpful thing for evil that could ever be done. But by the way, I do trust this Bible, and I do trust what it says, that Jesus Christ is coming back a second time. Meaning, he will execute his justice, literally, on this earth, in a fashion that will be rather severe and dramatic. Although we don't see it yet, it doesn't mean it's not coming. Habakkuk ends with a glorious praise to God who's deserving of our devotion and praise even when the country is not what it could or should be. Listen to this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. When I lose hope, and when my political allegiance reigns supreme, I need to make an adjustment to look again to God's wisdom and his sovereignty. I don't know the truth of all the theories that are floating around today. I don't try to put my head in the sand, but I am also not consuming my time spending 10 hours a day on the internet every day trying to figure it out. What I just don't have that kind of time. I'm not saying it's evil to do that, but I can tell you this. I know where my mind would go and think about doing that. I'm not telling you what to do. You're adults. You're big, big people, okay? But I know what the media and what my time spends on is what's going to consume me, okay? I do know that God's wisdom applies to today. And I'm still going to devote my time to speaking the truth in love and making a difference where God has planted me and view all people as being made in the image of God. I'm settling on these precepts. You know, in a month, I'm going to be in a Syrian refugee camp. And I'm going because this church has shown love and generosity to see the lives of these people changed, not only through a physical gift of an ultrasound machine, but through the gospel. And I think it's at times like this that we as a church are at our best. So what I want to do is spur on the love and good deeds and say, why can't we do this daily? Why can't we give of ourselves to expand the kingdom of God daily? Listen, we are not powerless here, my friends. I know you may feel like it, whatever, at least from a political sense. And frankly, that's not where my hope is. There's a power that transcends a political party 
And it's why I don't lose hope after this week. We are on a mission to expand the kingdom of God. So I'm going to love people where they're at. I'm going to give all I can. I'm going to continue with the gospel. I'm going to continue to know that God has me on a mission. And then I'm going to hang on to the words of Jesus. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And then try the psalmist. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, for whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. You see politicians holding on to power like a three-year-old does with a toy, screaming, yelling, dismissing others because that's their hope. But that's not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. So let us act like it in how we treat one another in how we love in seeing every single person as made in the image of God and leading with respect and love and spending our time and our energy and the things that invest in the kingdom of God from above. That's where I want. Listen, I'm glad that there are people who are involved in politics. I'm glad there are people a lot smarter than me, and that doesn't take much, to involve themselves in trying to make this a better community. I'm thankful for that. Right? But as a church, I just want you to know where we're going to devote our efforts, and I want you to have hope. I want you to walk out encouraged. Okay? This is not a rah-rah speech. This is reality. These are the things that hold true for the person who just got a divorce, who hold true for a person who just had their house burned down, that holds true for somebody who lost a job. These are the central truths that run in our foundation and that we have to hold on to. Let's pray.